You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. G'day guys, welcome to another episode of The Perth Property Show. I'm your host, Trent Fleskins. And just remember, if you've got any questions or comments, please leave them on the Facebook page or perthpropertyshow.com.au. Today we are back talking about finance, interest rates. It's a it's an interesting landscape right now. Finally, we've got a bit of change for the better, I hope. And as always, we like to get our experts in to talk about this. And this expert is someone who I trust a lot. He's a bit of a finance nerd and it uh, for a good reason. He's the Connective Broker of the Year for 2018 WA. He's a finalist in MFAA and Better Business Broker of the Year. Best Brokerage under fire brokers, finalists for best customer service. That's enough, I think. That's enough. <laughs> Clearly, people value your uh, opinion and your service. Sam Carello from Napoleon Finance. Thanks for coming in, mate. All right. Thanks a lot for having me on, mate. Hey, let's talk about all these changes that APRA have pulled back on, relaxed a little bit since the start of the year. And look, they seem to have tied up pretty well with the Royal Commission coming to an end, too. So, do we have a little bit of a chance to loosen the tie off the neck a little bit? <laughs> I, I think definitely. I'm, I'm pretty positive about what the future holds uh, the next 6 to 12 months in, in lending. I think we're quite well placed in WA as well, where the market, where it is currently at. But uh, obviously back in January, they removed your, your interest-only caps uh, and investment caps for the banks. What does that mean? Explain it for, for, for the lay people out there. How does it affect them? Yeah, so the banks had limits on how much they could grow their investment or interest-only book per year. So obviously with this, this is where we saw the, I guess, divergence between a a known-occupied principal and interest rate and then um, an investment interest-only rate. So to stop that flow coming in, the banks jacked up the rates on your interest-only investment. Market forces. Correct, I guess they kept the profit as well for themselves. That's it. Quite convenient. (laughs) So they've increased these rates to obviously... Silly levels, right? Correct, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in in most cases, you're paying, you know, close to 1% higher on an interest-only loan compared to a principal and interest. So when you actually do do the numbers, for some clients, the cash flow difference isn't a whole lot. I have to say, Sam, in our broking part of our business, and look, we're not finalists of, of uh, everything and, and winners obviously you're the finance man but from for our small brokerage side in our business we didn't write an interest only loan all last year because every single time we could demonstrate to our clients that you're actually if not the same paying less by paying principal and interest as well correct yeah and, that, and that's what we do with our clients as well we'll run the numbers give them both options but you know i guess common sense says well if it is even if it is only a hundred or two hundred dollars extra in cash flow per month, uh, the interest savings is usually five or 600 Yeah, on, you're on just giving month. money away for the sake of not having uh, small forced savings plans, which I guess a lot of us could do with, really, couldn't we? Correct, yeah. Definitely. So so that interest-only investment cap has been relaxed again, and that now gives the banks to, a bit of a chance to be a bit more competitive and aggressive on seeking that business and therefore maybe lower those interest-only rates and investment rates? Correct, yeah. So as soon as that... Uh, was removed early Jan, I think it was the 1st of January. What happened is we saw a few of the banks come out with some some very sharp uh, fixed interest only rates for the time. Uh, and, you know, they actively said, look, we're going after these clients to try and buy back some of our book, likes of the big four. I know CBA at the time had a, a $2,000 rebate as well. So they were really chasing that business. And we, we've seen it, yeah, loosen up. So there's a bit more, hopefully a bit more common sense uh, in lending. 
these days, but uh, definitely yep. been relaxed. Now, the thing that we've heard recently in the last week or so is APRA has come out again with another one. It's the yep. change to the assessment rates. So explain to us what we've been dealing with the last few years and how that might change uh, on a percentage rate effectively for us uh, and then maybe even how it's going to affect us on the dinner table. Cool, awesome. So yeah, so with the assessment rates, back in 2014, APRA introduced what they call called a floor assessment rate. So they said all banks must assess clients with the ability to repay their loan as if rates were at a minimum of 7%. In today's market, most banks are between 725 and 8%. So yeah, so when you're going for a loan, although you may be getting a rate of you know 3.5, 3.6, the bank's assessing your capability to repay that as if rates were you know, 7.25, more than double Yeah, sometimes. And, um, and they're obviously still shading investment rental income. Correct. So I get clients who go, Trent, I haven't got a problem paying this off. I've done my calculator. I can afford an extra two grand a month. But this isn't how they look at it, is it? They're, they're testing you on four grand a month and they're taking 20% off your rental income. Yeah, and then also if it's an interest-only loan, they take those those five years off, for example. So they amortize it over a shorter period, which makes it tougher as well. So sometimes we'll see clients and we're dropping them from a rate of 4.8 to 3.8. Their living standard's not going to change Cash flow is going to improve, but when you chuck it in the uh, bank's calculator, it says no. I had that Which... this week where I've got a client with $1.5 million of debt. She's on 90k a year, an accountant, worked all her life, uh, obviously accumulated these, these loans before the sweeping changes a few years ago, came to me and said, look, Trent, I'd like to, I'd like to refinance. I've just sold a property. I'd like to refinance what I have left. And I said, I'm really sorry. You could, you're actually only got serviceability for 900k. Yeah, the, if you the banks wouldn't allow you to have it if they looked at you again. Yeah, and if I'm sure if you looked at her conduct, she probably hasn't missed a payment. No. Uh, on top of it, cash flow wise, in real terms, is probably fantastic. Uh, but yeah, with these buffers that the banks or APRA did force on the banks, uh, especially your, your highly geared clients, they're the ones who find it uh, a little bit more difficult. But yeah. There's a, a review out, uh, should find out on the 18th of June, so it's gone to the, to the banks for their feedback. They've had, they've had four weeks to have a, have a think about it. Correct, yeah. The banks apply a buffer to the, the current interest rate that you're going to take. So, for example, uh, that buffer's been proposed between about 225 and 2.5%. So, say you, you signed up, let's make it easy for me, signed up for a 4% mortgage. Uh, instead of assessing currently at 725 to 8% on the bank, depending on the bank, it would be at 625 to 6.5%. That's a big difference as yeah. a percentage between the two. Massive. So, I mean, to give you an idea, so a single person on, on $80,000 with just standard living expenses, uh, not a lot of debt, it's probably about a $50,000 increase in borrowing capacity. Well, there you go, right? That, that's a difference between suburbs, socio-demographic classes, really, if we think about it. That could be the difference between I'm a Morley boy. That yep. could be the difference between a Morley house or a Dianella house. Couldn't it? Correct. Yeah. Correct. And that that's for a single on eighty thousand. If you then start looking at say you know double income, no kids, both on eighty thousand, uh, increase there's about a hundred hundred twenty thousand, which is which is massive, especially if you are trying to get into those aspirational suburbs. Yeah, that could be you know a unit, a single story unit to a townhouse. Correct. Yeah. Overnight. Or, you know, you can go from a, a five-year home to what could potentially be a 20-year home. Yeah, and, and that helps save people on that transactional cost. Instead of having to look to maybe jump up one rung on the ladder and then go, oh, look, this is our five-year plan, you can you might actually be able to afford that forever home straight away. 
Correct, yeah. And like you said, saving on that those transaction costs of selling agent fees, uh, stamp duty, turns out to be, yeah, a decent whack in the uh, scheme of things. End of June, we'll probably hopefully start seeing banks moving on their assessment rates and the brokers out there are going to be able to have updated serviceability calculators. So for anyone out there who's maybe looking at a loan right now and it might not seem to fit with their broker, is it worth having that conversation at the end of June again? I'd say maybe maybe not end of June. I'd give them a few months. Okay. Uh, banks aren't the quickest, uh, <laughs> quickest at doing anything, as probably many people applying for finance at the moment know uh, with turnaround times. I'd give them a few months to get, yeah, uh, procedures in place but yeah definitely for me next six to 12 months in lending i think's going to be pretty positive maybe we're moving back to somewhere close to that 2015 2016 mark again with a f- obviously a bit more prudence this time correct yeah i think uh the banks obviously after the royal commission learned their lesson a lot are saying they've probably gone too far uh in terms of trying to assess clients you know living expenses and, and things like that my life's been hell, to be honest. Now, I don't know about yours, but yeah. <laughs> I've had some absolute pain deals go through that I know two years ago wouldn't have had that wouldn't problem. problem. Yeah, I mean, some of the questions we're seeing um, are crazy. I had one, for example, I had a client who goes to the same coffee shop in Subiaco every day and gets his coffee. Sometimes he might buy a sandwich. I had the bank come back and ask to confirm it wasn't an ongoing liability because they saw this transaction occurring every day. <laughs> On his account, so it's it's things like that where you, you know, you want to pull your hair out uh, sometimes because it's just yeah. I think the common sense uh, in lending definitely has sort of disappeared a bit, and the assessors at the same time they they're held responsible. So if they approve a deal which shouldn't have been approved, it's their neck on the line. So I can understand them wanting to get everything perfect, but at the same time you've got to look at the client as a whole as a person um, as, a, yeah. as a real person with real outcomes correct and going and you know asking some of these clients some of these questions that we do get asked it's a bit of trust i think that's what we need let's tie this whole conversation up with the last piece of the puzzle and that's the living expenses right yeah. now explain quickly what the hem is to people and how the bank uses that to assess their expenses now, there are, I've, I know a lot of people out there who know every dollar they spend. They're very conscientious people. They've got their spreadsheets and they know, they say to me, Trent, I know that our living expenses as a couple are $1,540 $1, a month, right? Yeah. But that's not how the bank looks at it, do they? Even if you can prove on your bank statements that you've spent 1540 a month, they're going to use, they've got other ways to assess you as well, don't they? Correct. And again, I guess the slightly frustrating thing is it's not uniform across the banks. So different banks have different policies. Some will assess purely on HEM, so, uh, which is like the average. It's an index, right? Correct, it is. So it's the average. So if you've got two adults, two kids, doesn't matter whether those kids are going to uh, you know, private school at $25,000 a year per child or if they're going to public school where, where you don't pay, you know, they'll just use the HEM. Based on the household income. Correct. Yeah. So again, you know, if you've got um, say a couple on one hundred and fifty thousand compared to a couple on three hundred thousand, uh, with that difference, uh, the banks, some banks, not all of them, some banks again will allocate a higher living expense to the couple on three hundred thousand. But since they're on that money, one of them may be working FIFO. Now, when you're working FIFO, you may be away for three three weeks of the month with your living expenses paid. Because on site, you get your accommodation, you get your food, 
everything. You're not spending yeah. money. All your insurances are generally paid by these these mining companies. Correct. But they're still saying, now, look, we're going to allot $3,500 a month to your income, even though bank your bank statements show $1,500. Correct, yeah. So and that's a, just a prudence level that the banks have currently got. Yeah. That's not going to get any easier anytime soon, is it? We're starting to see a little bit, uh, a little bit of change. So I guess it's similar to the assessment rate that we were talking about before, where the banks have a floor assessment rate. The banks are using HEM, so we can say, well, this is the minimum. Uh, we have seen a couple of banks relax uh, documentation requirements. So before it was three months of your day to day, three months of your credit card statements, and then the banks would go through like a forensic uh, scientist almost and, and go through each line item. Now we're having some banks come back and say, right, we'll get the client to sign a declaration to say, you know, their living expenses is X, and we're happy to rely on that. So that relaxation is good because it stops us asking silly questions like, why are you buying a coffee every day? So <laughs> Yeah. 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 Now, if we tie all that, all that together, what is that practically going to mean for West Australians and West Australia's market? I think that we're in quite a... Uh, you know, you can add your own here, Sam. I think that we're in quite a lucky situation in that for a while now we've been milling along in a quite understimulated in, um, industry in, in property in Western Australia, whilst the show ponies in Sydney and Melbourne <laughs> have been going through the roof, right? Now that they're obviously seeing a lot of risk on the on the bottom end, uh, on down, downside risk on their market, we're getting that national approach again, as always, slapping us in a very irrelevant way, but in quite a fortunate way this time in that we're all expecting rates to keep dropping another you know a, a couple of drops over the over this the course of this year yeah. and that's in a market where hopefully we're seeing some improvement now usually you would see the reserve bank start to pick rates up whilst the market's going up to make sure it doesn't overcook but because we're that 10 percent of the of the country quite irrelevant in our bears eyes I think we're going to going to see the the positive side of, of that coming into the market with obviously the relaxation of the assessment rates. Of, we've seen the interest only cap be lifted, and now we're going to start seeing interest rates dropping. Those things coming together, we're going to see on that demand side. I always say that demand is three factors: wage growth. We're not seeing that. Yeah. Population growth. We're not seeing that. But the third factor, credit growth. We're going to start seeing that. And we've had such a tightening of supply in the last couple of years in Western Australia. Uh, I think we finally might start getting to that tipping point now where people can afford more and they start making those decisions and they actually can now. Yeah, I think even just in the last two weeks, I think since the election, I've seen almost a change in in mindset from from clients. Before, they were were quite unsure. Uh, But now there's some people who are starting to, I guess, pull the trigger, you know. I mean, Melbourne City is, I think, about 70% on the market, so we're always just going to be left to our own devices. But WA, I mean, markets, like you said, it has been flat. Uh, prices are, are affordable at the moment. That coupled with relaxed lending. I mean, RBA, there's talk there may be three cuts this year. Uh, don't know if there will Even be. if we get two, though, if yeah. you couple that in with the assessment rate change, suddenly most interest rates in the market are at 3% flat or thereabouts. We add 2.5% for prudence. Yeah. We're at 5.5% now, whereas at the start of the year, we're at 7.5%. Correct. That's a that's a 30% difference in serviceability Correct. In, in the space of a couple of months. Correct. That's the difference between someone affording a $700,000 house and a million-dollar house, just like that, Correct. right? So that has to be 
in my in, in my humble opinion, uh, have having an inflationary effect on our uh, quite stagnant market. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I think, like I said, we're, we're pretty pretty well positioned at the moment. Uh, WA, if you're looking to buy, I think six, next six to twelve months is a good time, uh, especially if you're looking to to get in the market. I mean, with those RBA cuts, will the banks pass it on themselves? Uh, that's that's the real the real question. I don't know if you you know if we get three cuts, if you're going to see three rate cuts from the banks. I, I think there is a downward trend. There has been a, a couple of good uh, three-year fixed rates come out recently. So uh, BOQ and, and Virgin released a 3.39 percent rate, which is the sharpest that we have access to in the market at the moment. Which is, I mean, that's, that's cheap ridiculous. money. That's cheap money. Is that the cheapest rate we've ever seen in Australia? That, it could be. Oh, that's the cheapest rate I've ever seen, yeah. that's for sure. Uh, I still have some clients obviously tell me of the, the days in the late 80s and early 90s when it was up at, you know, 17%. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it any cheaper than that, which is uh, yeah, definitely positive. Sam Carello, thanks for popping in and chatting APRA changes and how that will affect the market. We'll have you in again soon for another chat on some other finance topic. No worries. Thanks, Trent. Appreciate it. Okay, so today we are talking Bedford. For that conversation, as always, we need our number one agent, and that is Natalie Hoy from Belcourt. Natalie, thanks for coming in. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Bedford, for me, is stuck in the middle of two demographics, in my opinion. You've got that run-down Beaufort Street of Inglewood and Mount Lawley and that much more heritage area of older money, if I can say that, and, and some new new money coming through as well, uh, and the Dianella Morley sort of area, which is much more of that family stronghold immigrants from the 60s and 70s that have pushed through now. Uh, and it's right in the middle there. And you, I think you, um, you see that melting pot in Bedford of people aspiring to just move up Beaufort Street. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. isn't it a cool yeah. suburb? It is, Trent. There's, there's, a, there's a couple of distinct parts of Bedford. There's the part that is, I guess, geographically sort of south of Grand Prom, which is the Inglewood border, which tends to be the earlier parts, which was established more in the sort of the turn of the century, the, you know, the the 20th and then you've got I guess the core of the suburb which is those bits that are bounded by Grand Prom, Beaufort Street, Walter Road, Cood Street um, which is where you get those really gorgeous large sort of predominantly 983 square metre blocks which is a lot of where post-war immigrants settled um, and you know sort of built their their sort of I guess mid-century cottages and then you've got a little tiny pocket on the other side of Grand Prom towards the um, the Bayswater border, which is sort of like what I call the Chisholm precinct. Well, that's what I think of when I think of Bedford. I think of two things: Chisholm and the Bowls Club. Absolutely, yeah. It's only two square kilometres as a suburb. It's actually really small, and it's not a suburb you drive through. The only reason you're going in there is really if you if you live there or you're visiting someone there. But that's a benefit, I think, for most Absolutely. people. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Unless you're on one of those bigger streets, like a Grand Prom, Molly Drive, Beaufort, Brunab, sort of. If you, that's where most people are getting to work every day that's or getting right. to a friend's yep. house, right? So there's really no reason to be going through those avenues on the way. And that, yep. for me, means a pretty quiet area. It is, and it's really residential. And, and one of the other things that characterises Bedford is that there's absolutely almost no high-density living. I think it's less than half a percent of the area is high-density apartments and units, and they occur on those main arteries, not within the suburb itself. We'll talk about that development side later on, as we always do, but that's a really interesting point too. 
it's not somewhere that most people will think of at the top of their head as a development option, but there are some options and we can talk about yes, that. Yeah. Let's go back to the start like we always do and talk about Bedford as uh, as you referenced earlier, that post-war, pre-war sort of time where really we've got a lot of heritage character homes in there that a lot of people have retained and that's fantastic isn't it yeah it is Trent and they're certainly I guess the most popular properties particularly with younger buyers that are looking to try and um, get into something that's nearer to the city so you do get a number of earlier properties like the earlier 1900s but not a lot of those Um, funnily enough I just sold a gorgeous 1920s um, weatherboard to Ronnie and Georgia off the block and they're going to do a major reno of that and that's one of the, the that's a property that's just sound of Grand Prom. Oh, good luck to them. Mm, yeah. Weatherboard houses, you need some skill to, to get them well, up. Well, I to guess spec, that, that was what they did on the block. So that's kind of, you know, they're, they're, you know that something that, yeah, Ronnie's, Ronnie's really familiar with now. And that's an exciting project to watch online. But then once you sort of go north of Grand Prom, the bulk of the properties are those brick and tiles, originally two by ones, sometimes three by ones, mid sort of century character properties, 40s, lots of 50s. Then sometimes you'll get the occasional 60s. And they're always in demand, particularly to retain and renovate. Hey, would I be right in saying that Bedford, at this point in the market especially, is one of those suburbs where if you're not, as a seller, prepared to put the effort in to make it presentable and competitive in the market, you're going to get smashed down to Morley prices nearly. Yeah, But absolutely. if you do, you can sell for a mil plus and yeah. you get Mount Lawley prices. Yeah, look, I think it's fair to say anywhere in the inner city market at the moment, buyers are cherry picking. So they will look for the best that they can buy. Personally, I think the opportunity is in the unrenovated stuff because I don't pay for somebody else's renovation. Yeah. But a lot of the buyers are looking for something that is really schmick, all done. You know, Isn't it's... that a sign of the suburb, though? I've got a personal friend who yeah. uh, obviously happens quite a bit. People say, oh, what do you think of this trend? And someone brought to me for the first time, someone brought to me a brand new subdivided um, two-story beautiful house in Bedford that was on a fairly busier street, but they won a million dollars for it. Yep. And I thought, geez, 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, you couldn't have done that in Bedford. Couldn't have asked yep. that much money yep. for I'm... what is essentially a new Mount Lawley Inglewood home. Yeah, no, and there's been a couple of sales at that level of brand new properties in Bedford, yeah. Um, but it's it's the renovated character that tends to get the bulk of the interest, but certainly there are the buyers that are there and prepared to pay for real quality um, for brand new builds or newish builds. Well, tell us who those people are that are buying off you these days compared to obviously back in the day it was that first home buyer who I assume like many suburbs that we speak about on the podcast are there until they pass away. Yep. You know, and which you would be selling for these days, and this this would be the time frame, yeah, right? It's always lovely when you get those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a lot of history in those places, and they're the ones that you can renovate and make, yeah. you know, put a lot of money into. But who are buying these places? So the say say a renovated front character home on half a lot, um, it'll either be it will still be first home buyers if it's professional first home buyers, and obviously they've got the income to kind of 
service that mortgage. Normally pre-kids, you tend to find once they get the kids, then they're looking to try and move up to Inglewood. Okay. So, yeah. So, a stepping stone. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I do think Bedford, for the most part, is a stepping stone suburb. So you'll get, um, or it'll be trade up. So still, again, young couples, but they might be trading up from you know more locally or a bit further out from a unit or another house and they're looking to get something that is much closer to the city um, the houses that in the in the million dollar price bracket are a bit of a different thing. They tend to be much more established families, um, sometimes blended families, but usually an established larger family that's looking for a premium lifestyle property close to the city. They're not particularly fussed about postcode. They don't care that it's not Inglewood or Mount Lawley or Yokine. They're looking really just to the get product. yeah, absolutely good bang for their buck. Yeah, yeah, and that's I think that harks back to what I was saying before is that we at that point now where Bedford is now referred or thought of as part of that inner city ring and therefore you can provide those premium products in that area. Yeah, absolutely. Sort of like, uh, and we haven't even spoken about this suburb on the show yet, but sort of like a North Beach for me, It's that's coming into that inner city ring now where you can provide that same high spec half a block property that it really is fetching a premium because people are now seeing the lifestyle value for it. Yeah, absolutely, Trent. And and I think the mistake when you're renovating or building in Bedford is to undercapitalise and, and go too low spec. People yeah. just won't give you no. bang for buck on it and you no. may as well be selling a property in Morley. Yeah. To be frank. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. You need to yeah. go big or go home. Yeah. And you will. You'll get you'll you'll get results. Yeah, the, the buyers are there and they will pay for good pro- good product. We always like to talk about our price points. How cheap can I buy in Bedford? Can I buy a one-bedroom flat? Do they have them? And And then let's step it up to those different types of properties to yeah. just start getting in our head where where we are financially, yeah. where it sits in the market, yeah. and then give us a wowzer of how expensive it can get. Yeah. Um, look, I guess more on the fringes up towards, towards the Walter Road end and along Walter Road, you can pick up smaller villas and things like that, and they might be in that sort of 300 mark. Are they 10, 15 years old? Yeah, generally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, very, there's very little development like that that is new. The bulk of the stock in Bedford is either going to be original homes on the four blocks. Now, now, if they're not retainable, if they're in crap condition, you're probably going to be looking at something in the high sixes and then into the sevens, depending Isn't that upon. A drop though? I remember yeah. oh, God, five yeah. years ago, yeah, yeah. I, people I was were selling saying, them nah, for the low no, 800s. No, yeah, nothing, nothing. <laughs> I was thinking, I was yeah. competing at 900 grand yeah. for these really old, crappy yeah. eight, nine hundred thousand square meter blocks. I'm yeah. Thinking, Jesus, who's making any money on this? Yeah. Yeah, no one. Um, yeah, no. It's sold though. Yeah, yeah, but you, you'll get the very odd triplex block in Bedford, about the eleven hundred square meters for that price. But the duplexes have come down. That said, it depends on the quality of the character home. So if you get a fabulous front character home with really beautiful bungalow features, if you're more towards the Beaufort Street end and maybe a little bit of elevation, then you're stepping into the seven, sometimes still the low eights. 
for those. But yeah, price point compared to where they were a few years ago is quite different. Mm. For me, that's my pick. That's what I'd be looking to buy. Then, of course, you've got renovated or unrenovated front character homes, and they can be anywhere from two by one that you might pick up in the fours. There is, you know, as low as the fours now, through to really great quality three by twos that might fetch a seven or into the sevens. It just depends on how good they are and whereabouts they are in the suburb. Then obviously you've kind of got newer builds that are through from the where the lots have been subdivided. You've got a, a newer home at the back, mostly 90s through to into the current now, you know, to the yeah. current day into now. And they'll be anywhere from Normally, that depends on the size. So, you know, if it's a good three by two, four by two, couple of living areas, um, all it all depends on the quality of finishes from fives into sixes. Occasionally, um, they'll crack seven as well. Do you see many of the side by side, five hundred yeah, square meters happening, and and that's where the premium? That's the premium end of the market. So there's been a there's been a couple. There's not a lot, but the couple that are there that have come to market have sold pretty well. Um, there was a couple on Shaftesbury Ave. One went for a million and fifty. One went for one one. Well, that's um, one in your top streets, really. Yeah, isn't it? and they were massive homes, like huge, yeah. huge, huge houses, like five by three multiple living areas incredibly well finished then there's another one that's just recently sold on Rosebury Street as well that had city views from the second level for 4x3 now could be wrong I, I think that price is only recently reported I think it was around the 1.15 mm. and then there was another one that sold on Nelson so right on the Inglewood border for the same price as well <laughs> wow. Those are prices you expect to pay in Inglewood getting into Mount Lawley, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I guess I saw one across the road um, from that one on Nelson Street in Inglewood for 1.25. So, okay. Yeah. There's a difference yeah. crossing a there's, road. There's, yeah, that's right. And to clear it up, I can't buy an apartment in Bedford anywhere? I Oh, look, I think there's one little group um, right next door to the, the vets near the corner of Walter Road and Grand Prom. Um, that's about it. That's about it. That's okay. certainly that I know of. It's the only sort of two-storey group. It's a fairly newish one. It must that must be a spot zoning or straight into development now. I mean, obviously, the, the bulk of the lots in Bedford are that sort of 980-ish square metre um, lot, which is subdividable. It's our sort of 2025. Mm. So most people looking to retain the character home at the front and develop at the rear. There's the very odd triplex lot that will come up. That's um, the 1,100 square metres. That's your 1,100 because, square yep. metres. That's right. Um, so there's a few of those um, down Drummond Street, but sort of one side and, you know, the odd one somewhere else. Um, you probably will start to see more high-density residential down Walter Road. I think, you know, the, the, the trend is for local and state government to look to really want to, um, you know, intensify the development down those main activity corridors. Mm. Um, and so you'll probably maybe start to see some, you know, some higher density down there. Though there's almost no lots left. That, you know, They've all been developed yeah, into absolutely. a triplex or that's some right. sort of unit. And that's the, that's the thing we're really going to struggle with is that next level of development, I think, across the state is that we've had so long where people have been making use of that land for triplexes. Yeah. Now to... Pu- to put up a class two boutique apartment, two story uh, going on there, you need to not just buy a property from one person, but three. Absolutely. It's never yep. going to happen. No, no, so it's not. So it is going to be very much, a, in, a, in a good way, a, a positive thing, having a mixture of those possibilities of those products. 
but wouldn't we like to just see a lot more density along those major yeah. roads? Because who wants to pull out of, out of their unit driveway straight off a of Walter Road? You want there to be a complex where you've got That's a bit more right. space. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, you've got, I think, you know, the odd ex-service station, you know, kind of position, which is which is where, say, for instance, there's one that was recently done in Inglewood, and there is one on the corner of, I think there's one on the corner of Coode, but that's that's about it. There's almost no opportunity. So the R20 slash 25 are in the City of Bayswater. I've always found the City of Bayswater to be pretty good when it comes to development and the way that they assess things. I do think they are proactive for it, uh, but it will come down to, and it will be a few years away because these things do take years, getting those changes in density along the major corridors to upgrade to that maybe R60, R80 where you can make a difference. Yeah. Uh, but right now we're stuck with R20 slash 25, side-by-sides, house behind a house, and maybe a triplex on your massive blocks. Yeah, and, and even, so I, just to come back to that, um, look, City of Bayswater has a bit of a better reputation than City of Stirling for development, but there are changes that are coming through in relation to things like preservation of street trees, crossovers because they're trying to preserve canopy. So in some cases, those side-by-side developments are going to be harder to do, particularly if the street tree's located in the wrong position. Um, the council's really trying to dissuade against you know joint crossovers on properties. So it's going to be interesting to see what impact that has down the track. Very much. The City of Bayswater does have a heat island policy and uh, I've been through it myself personally. Yeah. They very much do not want to be increasing any level of concrete or brickwork on their asset being the verge. It does make it harder for those things. And with the flavour of the month now being keeping street trees and even maybe keeping trees, Vic Parks, you know, keeping trees inside their lot, it can make it really hard to fit a house. You start now wrapping a house around a tree. Yeah. Yeah, so and, that, and it's a very green area, Bedford. We haven't mentioned it, have we? No, and I guess this is the thing is because you've got those very large 983 square metre blocks, often you have a massive gum tree or a jacaranda or something like that smack bang in the middle of the backyard. Mm. Well, for those savvy buyers who are out there on the development side, it's just a case of making sure they don't get caught out with those that's, things yeah, because you'd right. hate to have a development fall over because of a, a tree being in a certain position. That's right. Let's move on to our median house price question. Hit us with it. And you've already, already given us a bit of a hint, I think, about what you would do with your money. Yeah. But tell us what it is. And again, tell us exactly what you would do with the median house price if you had that in your pocket today. So I think the median house price in Bedford is six thirty. Um, I'm going to be a little bit cheeky, Trent, because I would actually spend more or I would spend less. All right. So I would be looking for a really great retainable quality character home on a duplex block. Um, if you can get something with three bedrooms under the main roof, even better. But I would be looking for that real plum character home on the um, that's retainable on the. What duplex are you paying for that then? Block. You're not paying six thirty apparently. No. Oh, you're, you're going to be looking probably more in that mid to high sevens, depending upon depending upon the house. That's that's where I would go. That that sort of price price point of six thirty is probably going to get you a renovated front character. But let's see, I yeah, I wouldn't pay for someone else's reno. I'd be looking for something at a lower price point in the fours or fives. But again, you want something that you're going to be able to renovate ideally without extending so the front character home may be unrenovated because there's very little demand for those Um, and you're picking those up for incredibly good prices at the moment so I'd be looking for something like that that I can where I can add value bit of sweat equity never hurt anyone absolutely Ali Hoyt thank you very much for coming in I really appreciate your time and 
I look forward to having you again in the very near future for a chat about Inglewood, given your status in that suburb as well. It's a pleasure, Trent. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!